welcome back to another episode of Working Wife, Happy Life. This is your host, Bethany Baines. As you might be able to tell from my voice, I am battling a bit of a bug that's been making its way through my household. I guess the past 14 months or so of mask wearing has not helped our immune system, but hopefully I'm able to kick it soon. Those of you that are regular listeners know we talk a ton about gender norms and gender expectations uh, on this podcast. And as we get closer to Father's Day here in the United States, I'm thrilled to have today's guest here to talk about just this topic. So Jordan Shapiro is the author of the new book, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. This was one of the most fun podcasts I've recorded, and it makes me so sad that in this, you know, moment in time, we're not able to do interviews in person, and I look forward to hanging out with this person live uh, in the near future, I hope. So Jordan is a globally celebrated American thought leader, speaker, consultant, and professor who is deeply committed to the topics of education, psychology, digital play, kids, culture, and food. His first book, The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World, changed the cultural conversation about parenting and screen time. And now he's back with father figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. In this book, he offers a norm-shattering perspective on fatherhood, family, and gender essentialism. Together, we discuss dad psychology, gender equality, the importance of words to shape possibilities, and how all roads lead to feminism. Yes, even bison sales. We cover habits of mind and the importance of moving through life and society with more intention to change our perceptions. His insights, drive, and humor will drive home these incredibly complex and urgent topics, especially as we move towards celebrating fathers across the U.S. If you're looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, this book is it. He's got lots of very funny, very comical, and very cool gift box sets on his site. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Jordan Shapiro. I'm here for. Awesome. Jordan Shapiro, welcome to Working Wife Happy Life Podcast. I'm so psyched that you were able to make the time to to connect with me today. It's great to be here, although we're all at home still because of the pandemic, so I'm not actually anywhere. Well, I mean, I I am somewhere, (laughs) just not there. (laughs) That's a whole other metaphorical discussion we could get into. Um, Yeah, we're rounding the corner. I feel like every day is filled with with more and more hope. Um, But then there's like the the kind of the social anxiety of how the hell do we reenter? And then, you know, we've now lost this excuse for saying yes to things we don't want to do, you know? (laughs) That's, I, I, I totally get that. I'm, I'm a big, uh, uh, you know, I used to, it used to be that when, when I was home in Philadelphia, I never went anywhere. Like I, and all my friends in Philadelphia thought I just didn't like them because they'd (laughs) go on Instagram and they'd be like, but you're all over the country doing book events and speaking and talking. And we see all these pictures of you talking to people you won't talk to us and i'm like that's because i'm home <laughs> yeah and you're exhausted right like being on like that is it's it's i mean it depends i guess there's different personality types that get energy from it but i'm a massive extrovert and i still have those moments where you just want to like hide in your room and and talk to nobody and frankly answer to nobody so stop posting the shit on instagram because that way no one can know where you are <laughs> exactly but i have to say you know after after a year of not seeing anyone i'm i'm excited for like and it's summer so i'm excited for barbecues and oh, dinner yeah. on the patio and uh you know this it's it's gonna be nice it's coming. I, I agree. And I'm actually close to you because you're in Philly. I'm in Ocean City, New Jersey right now. Oh, um, well, yeah, then you'll so have I'm... to you'll have to come over for some ribs and some chicken and some, you know, whatever I feel like cooking. Give me a, a time and a day and I will be there. Uh, <laughs> I was reading up on you and honestly, I don't even know where to start. Obviously, I want to talk about the topic at hand, which is your incredible new book called Father Figure. Um, but first, before we get into that, when I was reading about your bio and your background, there's so much, uh, kind of kindred spirithood to, to who you are and what you do. So I'm, I'm just going to say, we're going to be friends from now on because okay, uh, between deal. the passion of food, which, uh, my husband's a definitely very active chef. I'm a very active eater. Um, 
And, you know, obviously the Philly connection and and the work that you do, um, it just really, I just felt such a honor to be introduced to you. So I'm so excited to get in this conversation. Well, it sounds like this is going to be fun and challenging. <laughs> <laughs> well, I promise it won't be too tough. It's Friday morning. I don't think any of us have the uh, mental capacity to do anything tough on a Friday. I'm in my bathrobe, as I told you before. Yeah. Uh, even though well, I've been I have up my, my, my hair pulled back in my in my stepdaughter's pink scrunchie and <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're doing. Uh, yeah, I walked the dog in my bathrobe today and I came back and my husband's like, You've just given up, haven't you? And I'm like, there's nobody here. Nobody sees me. I'm like the guy from Shameless just coming out to get my paper. You should just give him a dirty look and go, Thank you so much. I love you too. I love you too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, listen, I, uh, I would love, I'm sure food will weave into our conversation throughout here as, as we've already talked. Um, but I would love for our listeners, can you just describe briefly a little bit of, of your, your background, um, just to kind of set the stage of, of the work that you do in your kind of, I guess, history or, you know, you have like education and psychology and writing. I have so, I have so much, you know, I have friends who joke that like they'll, they, they've known me for 10 years and then they'll, and then they'll sit at dinner with me and I'll mention something and they'll be like, how have I known you so long and never knew you did that? You know, I was, a, I, I, I was once a salesman for a bison meat company. Uh, <laughs> and I, would, I was in New York City and I would like knock on restaurant doors and go, you should sell bison. It's much healthier than beef and better for the environment. You know, I had a whole a whole thing. So, yeah, I have tons of tons of tons of things in the back that, <laughs> in, the, that in the history. Was that in the meatpacking district? Did you go around there? No, 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 no. I mean, I was uh, I was going all over to restaurants. I, I think they did the meat in Colorado, maybe Canada. I don't really remember. It was when I was in my 20s and uh, I'm old and middle-aged now so <laughs> I'm right I'm right there with you <laughs> so my background is meat salesman and so that qualifies me to write a book about feminism as it does all roles <laughs> lead to feminism um no, my 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 PhD is in is in actually in psychology, but about halfway through the 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 work, I became very much more interested in 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 philosophy and phenomenology. And so, you know, my my dissertation was all about phenomenology. Um, but I have a, a a deep deep background in psychology and really in like. Um, primary source psychology like you know i was never practicing to be a um a therapist so it wasn't like textbooks it was like i had to i had to read uh, you know i read everything by freud and jung and erickson and and you know and melanie klein and so so i i come from a place of 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 weird intellectual nerdery yeah i can, I can tell already and i love it i love it yeah, I nerdery is an interesting word. I never thought of that. <laughs> I'm going to use say, it from now on. I've also never heard phenomenology, and I love it. Um, so yeah, phenomenology we're... is a school of philosophy that that's right around the beginning of the 20th century, late 19th century. It's started by someone named Edmund Husserl, um, and the uh, the you know the real idea was that we needed to 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 focus on um, on perception and the way that we make meaning out of our out, mm -hmm. out of our experiences um um and just you know we do a lot of assumption about what's underlying things um and 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 the phenomenologists were interested in like but what is actually happening on the surface not in, not in the underneath um and that mm -hmm. just always fascinated me that's almost like an inverse of of the point of psychology right because i feel like psychology is so much of unwinding what's underneath versus focusing on like almost the symptoms of what's underneath and that seems to be what phenomenology is yeah, I mean, they go together because psychology is really, um, you know, at least in the early psycho psychoanalysis, it was really about, you know, they, they thought they understood everyone before a psychoanalysis. And then the psychoanalyst said, let's, let's listen to what people are really saying and try to understand how they're telling their story and what's in their story. And then you analyze that that the, the story they're telling where before it would be like you know you'd walk in you'd be like i'm feeling sad and they'd be like hysterical woman easy diagnosis <laughs> again all roads lead to feminism <laughs> um awesome all right so the background in psychology runs deep i'm i'm definitely more rooted in like the sociology and and i studied um when i was at college first of all i'm just impressed that you remember so much from your uh your studies but um 
I, my brain doesn't work so so well, hot anymore. Well, I'm also, I'm also a university professor, so I have an, un, an unfair advantage, which is that I teach it all, all, oh, all the time. Oh, you're still in it. You're still yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, I, I didn't make the mistake everyone else made of, of, of going, you know, I can't wait to be out of college. I was like, I can't wait to stay in forever yeah. and get them to pay me to do it. <laughs> that is, that is. So you do this with, is that with Temple? I teach at Temple University, yeah. Awesome, awesome. The true Philly roots. I love it. So so all those like deep intellectual conversations you remember from college, I get to have them all day long and I get yeah. paid. Yeah. That's, I mean, that just think talking about like the brain as a muscle, which I feel like is a big conversation we have with my mother-in-law all the time. You know, she does her little jumbles and crosswords and everything to keep herself sharp because otherwise, if you're not engaging in this type of challenging conversation or having your beliefs challenged all the time, you just start to... I think oversimplify your your life and your experiences. So I love that you be you're able to engage in that on a regular basis. Yeah, there are there are definitely days. I mean, again, back to the nerdery. Uh, there are definitely days where I'm preparing to teach and I'm like reading reading Plato, and I'm like, I can't believe people actually pay me to sit and read Plato. Like, yeah. how can, I'm so blessed. <laughs> I, I can't believe you have the uh, ability to pay attention for that long. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um all right, so you're so we've got the educational background, deep rooted psychology, looking at people's behaviors. I love the idea of perception and making meaning of our experiences um in in your 20 lives. Share with me kind of how that's evolved into the work that you're doing in addition now to your professorship if that's a word. Yeah, um um, I mean, I mean, it's all it's all connected. I mean, in, in in many ways, I've always been been asking questions about, um, you know, who we are now, how we make meaning out of out of things, and the ways that our uh, our meaning making um, um, shapes our experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So, so in, in my in my previous book, The New Childhood, I was really interested in how. Uh, and how we think about what childhood is, how we how we define a child, how we think, how, you know, how, you know, and not just not just what we say, but also the words we use. Right. And how mm -hmm. those words shape our ability to think about different possibilities and aspirations. And now I, I've turned that in father figure on on fatherhood and going, you know, how do the how do the words we use, how does the language we use, how do the ideas shape our perception of what it means to be a father and what would it mean to make, you know, small tweaks to that? Can we with just tiny tweaks, can we make a much more equitable world? It's, I, there's so much there. So I have a 13 year old son and a nine year old daughter, and my Sorry. daughter. <laughs> I have I, I have teenagers too. So yeah, yeah. And you, you, you pair all this with perimenopause, and it's just it's awesome on a daily basis. It's awesome here. Um, but it's so funny because I'll say stuff to my daughter about like you know I don't know picking up after herself or taking the trash out and stuff and she's just like I am trying to enjoy my childhood and I'm like oh, shit right? <laughs> like she's just like just just pushing those buttons so they're they're smart but I think you know the what uh, you're touching yeah. on. Mine like, mine like to say, mine like to say, you know, you're not nearly as good at parenting as you sound on the radio and on TV <laughs> and on podcasts. <laughs> That's what my kids say. The old mommy's got her podcast voice on now. <laughs> She's not streaking at us. <laughs> oh, they keep it real. They keep it too real. Um, but I, I, I love this idea of words and language, and it's a lot of what I talk about on the, on this podcast and with some of the work that I do uh, with the community at Google, because my, my emphasis is on breadwinning women and how women are taking more and more financial responsibility for households across the nation and the globe, um, but kind of how we have to unwind so many gender stereotypes when it comes to what happens inside and outside of the home. And language and, and words are such a huge part of that, right? Even the term breadwinner is very, it's almost offensive to a lot of women. And I actually had a lot of people uh, asked to rename our breadwinning women's group because they found that term uh, really uncomfortable. And I hmm. was like, that's exactly why we're going to keep it. We got to get <laughs> into the stickiness of why that's uncomfortable for us. Um, you know, and, and, 
I would love to just, I, I want to make sure that we really share with our listeners, like the, the true premise of, of the work that you're doing. Um, and you describe yourself as a feminist dad. W- tell me about, you know, your kids. What was this awakening? What does it mean to be a feminist dad? What does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, truthfully, it should probably be called, a, a, I should probably call myself a pro-feminist dad, not a feminist dad because, because uh, not, not pro-professional, but pro like supportive. <laughs> Oh, I guess both, but yeah, <laughs> but no, I meant supportive. I mean, you know, call it, you know, a man, a man saying feminist dad is, you know, I guess you could, there, there's a, a valid argument that there, that there could be a little appropriation in there. And so pro-feminist says the same thing. And, and I knew that from the beginning, but, but when you're trying to do a mainstream book, you don't need to put words like, <laughs> like pro on to confuse things. So, but, right. but accurately, it should probably be a pro-feminist dad meaning i'm all for feminism right um um but um but you know what what that means and what it, what the book's really about is sort of uh, you know on the on the on the on the the simplest most surface level um feminism just just means that you're committed to 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 ending oppression or exploitation or subjugation that's based on sexism um, that you know, that's the simplest, uh, the simplest definition. That's the definition I use in 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 father figure. Um, um, you know, a lot of people we have we have many many years of sort of anti-feminist propaganda that has taught people to think that feminism means man hater. That feminism mm-hmm. means you want to cancel men. Um, <laughs> um, none of none of that's true. And and so you know, it seemed to me it was time to say you know, what does it mean to be a dad who's really, who's really committed to that? You know, unfortunately, a lot of people tend to, to hear it and think that this is a book about raising daughters, which it's absolutely not a book about, I mean, there's lots in it about daughters, uh, but, but it's, it's really just a book about what it means to be a dad and who, who, who wants to father which should really be parenting, parent, not father, because there's no reason that needs to be gendered. But who wants to mm-hmm. father in a way that is that 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 is interested in not reproducing misogynist or patriarchal power structures? Um, you know, a lot. So many of the you know, patriarchy, of course, I'm sure everybody knows, literally means rule by the father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, and so it seemed to me like it was strange that nobody had really taken on feminism from the perspective of father right? like like if you're going to try to crumble the patriarchy it seems like like you, you got to start with the patriarch right, right but it's in, it's engaging in that way which i think is so it can get super uncomfortable because you inherently feel threatened right what has my role been in propagating this what has my role been you know and, and i i get the house the eye rolls within my own house on some of this stuff but it's literally Every day you will see something. In fact, I just we uh, we transferred a loan over um, for a house here, and we got a paperwork today that said um, it's I don't know why it's like written in like old English, but it starts off <laughs> and it's like for all men present, and it's literally signed by a VP named Angela, right? So it's just like it's literally. Every single day you will see something that is reminding you of the underlying patriarchy. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's so funny you say that because I got Kate Mann's unbelievable book, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny, which I can't recommend highly enough to everybody on the planet. Um, um, and I and I gave it to my partner, Amanda, and uh, she and I were both reading it. And for like weeks, like just all day long, we'd be like, oh, misogyny, 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 mm-hmm. like calling it out everywhere. Everything the kids said, everything we said, everything we saw on television. I mean, it is everywhere. And I think the, 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 the point, the reason that I wrote Father Figure is because it was clear to me that that most men and most of the men I talked to, I mean, I haven't met any men who are who are saying, hey, I want to like uh, subjugate women. Any man I talk to tends to be like, yeah, I'm all for gender equality. Of course, a lot of them resist the word feminism, but that's a whole other problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 what I found was so many people really wanted this. They 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 you know they 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 care about the women in their lives. They care about gender equality on a larger scale. The, 
the meta picture, not just the people they 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 love, but but all women. But they don't not, really, not because they have a daughter. Not because well, I mean, a lot of people think they care because they have a daughter. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up, and that might be an entry point for some men. But you know, caring about your daughter does not necessarily mean you care about all other women, right? Right, <laughs> right. and it's also not to say that your life doesn't change once you have a daughter because you now see these things through a different lens as a protector of a child as any parent is, right? Yeah, but I'd also like, you know, just to, I mean, I don't want to... Uh, you don't want to get into I, it? Come on! No, no, I hate to be judgmental, but we ha I have a bit in, in Father Figure where they've done actually a lot of studies because, you, um, you know, and of course we all saw the whole like hashtag girl dad all over Twitter uh, last year or the year before. And so I looked at a whole bunch of studies because people were like curious, does... does having a daughter actually make you more likely to, to care about gender issues. One really fascinating study is they looked at, at federal judges and they looked at like all of the cases they had ruled on that had words like woman or pregnancy or, mm. or anything to do with women in it. And actually what they found was that men with daughters tend, tend to rule more conservatively when it comes to when it comes to gender issues, right? That they become they get this sort of protectionist, like I have to mm -hmm. protect my daughters from the evil men because they're so frail. <laughs> right? Interesting. The, not the men, that the daughters are so frail. So so there's some even question of whether um, whether it even gives you that that lens. I'm not saying it doesn't. Um, I'm just saying that that certainly the research doesn't make it clear that having a daughter makes you more more aware of those things. But the larger issue that I was just bringing up is that even though you may care about your daughter and want your daughter to have a career and be fully empowered, right? Right. Feminism is when you care about all women having those opportunities, not just the ones you love, right? Like, like you know, like saying I have a daughter is sort of like, I have a black friend, totally. right? Exactly. <laughs> it's a, exactly. it's a, like, like, who cares if you care about your one friend having freedom? <laughs> right. It's like when you get like the like emails from the, or the, the notifications from like senior executives and it's like them with their daughter, it's just like, like, okay, well, I'm glad you love your child and you should, that doesn't mean you're looking out for, you know, you know, equal leadership or equal opportunity within your organization, but it's, you know, it's quite a leap to make <laughs> that type of, uh, kind of performative activism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the point is like, um, your, uh, you know, to to do to do it in an organization, for example, means that you you have you're 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 committed to sort of deconstructing the patriarchal status quo, right? So so a lot a lot of men will be like, I care a lot about my daughter, but I don't want to lose my patriarchal entitlement. I don't want to lose my privileges, right? Right? Um, I, I, I and of course, anything that's entitlement and privileges means somebody else doesn't have it. I'm all for everyone keeping most of what they most of what they have, but a privilege means you have something others don't, right? Um, right. Everybody should have the same entitlements as me. Right. And, and I think, so what you're touching on, which I think is so interesting is there's the myopic view of my specific experience and then the zoomed out view of, of course, this should be equal. And, and I feel like it's that kind of dichotomous view on, on society, your role in it, your complicity at times, your privilege, all of those things that can get really tied up into the change you want to see, but just not in my house. Right. And so, <laughs> right. I mean, not, not in my backyard. It's like, right. it, it, and, and I think that's something when you talk about the term feminism, because I've, I've had this discussion, I can't even count how many times, but where there is this connotation, there has been this toxic message about it being anti-men about it, not being about equality. Um, and, and, you know, that's where I think language around these topics and, and terminology is so critical to, to gain a deeper understanding and have these types of conversations. And so you were talking about kind of what your book isn't, what people expect your book to be, but it isn't. Um, but what is it, right? Like, <laughs> like, who are you writing this for? What, what, who are you trying to engage in this conversation? Yeah, I mean, it's a hard question. It's always been a question from the beginning. Um, I mean, and, and the reason it's a hard question is because uh, um, uh, just statistics, you know, look, if you look at the statistics, men don't buy a lot of the books, right? I mean, mm -hmm. some men buy books, I buy a ton of books. I'm an, I'm an academic, of course, I'm a, you know, I probably might be my biggest expense is books. But, but, but on 
on the whole, most books uh, are bought by by women, so it was always sort of a hard question. You know, am I am I am I am I writing this for wives so that they'll buy it and give it to their husbands for Father's Day? Which, by the way, if you're listening, this is a great Father's Day gift. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or uh, or am I or or am I writing it for 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 the fathers? Um, you know, because when you're writing a book, you 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 know, one side of it is there's the part that just needs to come out of you, right? What you need to say. But then if you're writing it the, the with 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 publishers like I am, then you then you're constantly getting the marketing questions at the same time, right. which which are not fun, but part of but you know there's always not fun parts of any job, and you have to deal with them. Um, and so so I asked the marketing that marketing question, but but the voice in the book, either way, is really like the the the, the audience in my head was dads, and the audience in my head was dads who who want to do the right thing, who 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 care about feminism, who care about gender equality, and yet still are inadvertently and unconsciously um, reinforcing and maintaining, um, you know, really problematic uh, uh, um, power hierarchies. Um, um, and in ways they don't know, right? So this mm-hmm. is not a book where this is not a book about pointing at men and going, "Hey, you're a villain." This is not about uh, you know pointing at men and going, "Hey, you're misogynist." I know that the men reading this book are doing everything they can to not be misogynist, or doing everything they can to not be patriarchal. But what I don't think they're all, they're 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 aware of is how some of the things that they do with great intentions, right? Um, for example, protecting their daughters, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> from the evil sexual predators of the other thirteen-year-old boys who are obviously more horny because we just know mm. that. Boy, uh, I'm being sarcastic, obviously, because I know, but I'm the about science to is wrong. <laughs> right, right. The science is clear that that, that I, you don't even need science. Just go talk to any woman, and they'll be like, "No, I was pretty horny at thirteen too." Yeah. <laughs> right. There's actually there's a oh there's a show I was watching I think it was Glee and they literally said that she's like they want you all to think that you're more horny than we are but you're not okay you're not <laughs> right exactly exactly so we're so 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 a lot of men are just are really trying to do the right thing and um and and this was a book to 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 help show them how to reflect and interrogate their own thinking, their own habits of mind, their own behaviors, their mm-hmm. own thought constructs so that they could make better decisions. You know, this is not a book of like, you know, this is what Jordan says you should be, right? There's none of that in there, right? But this is a this is a book about giving you the tools to look at your own behaviors, to look at the, the the systemic structures in which you participate and to make the decisions that I think most men want to make anyway. It's almost like those things, you know, I, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of people and, and a lot of men and you know, that probably don't spend as much time as you and I do thinking about this stuff. Right. So it's like, I, I can't, I cannot extract this type of narrative, this type of analysis from who I am. I see it everywhere. It's like mm-hmm. when you're hungry and you just see all ads for food, like I just can't <laughs> not see it, but I recognize that that is my my passion and my drive that is not everybody's you know there's there's not everybody is doing it to this extent which is totally fine and frankly i'm sometimes really jealous because i think they <laughs> might sleep better than i do um but there's something to just having that moment to just like nudge a little bit and say just as you say these things as you see these things you're probably going to see them a little differently now and that that's the stuff. That's the stuff that I think impacts real change. When we say these things like sit at the head of the table or, um, you know, when it's, you know, the, the policeman or the mailman, like those little things send such a massive message that is, I mean, even just looking at the leadership in our country, the fact that we have our first female vice president is, you know, how many walls of men are in every single classroom in our country? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 you think about what that means for 
for girls um and and we should also point out that you know what that means for girls of color um mm -hmm. uh, what that means for trans girls what that means for gender non-conforming folks right that, that but that when they see that and 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 all of those people you know just see themselves as 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 something broken something less than something inferior um even if we tell them otherwise right like how do you how do you you, you can tell people all day you're 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 great you can do anything but if they look around themselves and ever and they see that no one like them is doing those things then they're like okay if i can do I, I'm, then they think they just might if they really believe they can do everything then then little girls are gonna go go well i shouldn't want to do that because obviously mm -hmm. other if, uh, if i could do anything other people would have already done it so then they right. think there's something wrong with them um um and that's the to me that's a real problem uh and, and again this is not even just about I mean, at the core of father figure is is really beyond a question of gender. Certainly beyond the question of of, of cisgender uh, prejudice, right? It's a, this is not just about men and women, right? This is a this is about all all gender prejudice. But even beyond that, it's about racism. It's about it's about the fact that we all need to think about where our behaviors might reinforce the i and not just our behaviors our thinking our habits of mind how those things might might reinforce the 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 obstacles that that keep up keep some people from living a life full of freedom and dignity and everyone deserves a life full of freedom of dignity you don't have to like them you don't have to like the decisions they make i don't care oh, if you want to be God. like i yeah you want to be I like, like i don't everybody. like people i don't like <laughs> right you can i don't care if you're like i think you know you you might be like i think buddhists are terrible right <laughs> right like that that's fine no but you gotta be, that. <laughs> well that's why i picked the example i was trying i was trying to do one that i couldn't wouldn't wouldn't offend anyone right <laughs> um, right um but you can think that if you want what you can't think is that because you think that 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 buddhists aren't allowed to have a life of dignity and freedom and 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 opportunity and so i, I and so that's it that's all i'm really uh, after is is helping dads understand how living into familiar ideas about what fatherhood identity is is unconsciously and inadvertently um, um, blocking some people from from living a life full of dignity and freedom, right? So, and in many cases for many dads, and this gets back to what we were saying about daughters, you actually don't even realize the way that you are participating in things that are telling your own daughter, right, that that she can't have a life of freedom and, and dignity. You know, maybe a lot of dads will still say things like you throw like a girl in front of their daughters, right, which is really, I think everybody on some level understands why that makes no sense. But there's, yeah. there's a lot more subtle things that we're doing all the time and this is a this is a book father figure that that helps men see those things because they don't want to do that no no father wants to be telling his daughter all day long that she that that, that she's less than right right but it's also <laughs> i mean we i we talk about like imperfections right so there's also like when there's a consistency of these messages versus, you know, one phrase or one, you know, engagement that is not consistent with all of these other things, it's, they're building blocks. Nobody's going to do everything perfectly. That's why I love having conversations like this and, and, and the, the work that I do, because inherently I'm going to say something wrong, or I'm going to, you know, say something sexist or whatever. It's like, we're going to do something that you're just like, Oh yeah. All right. But like, we know that I do this work all the time and I'm still learning and still on the journey. Um, but also I feel like we get into this space and certainly now in society where I get so afraid that the pendulum has swung too far, that people are so afraid to say the wrong thing that they're not going to say anything at all. And that is where I think we get into a really dangerous space of, um, aiming for this, like, and I, I take that back because we do want to aim, <laughs> we do want to aim for inclusive perfectionism. Right. But then the, with the notion that we'll never actually get there. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I want to, can I go back to your point about afraid yeah. to say that? Because I think that's part of what, what I'm trying to solve 
for and father figure, but I also want to challenge the premise. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, right. Like I do on, on the one hand, the phenomenologist in me recognizes that people's experience is that they are afraid of, um, of there are a lot of men afraid to say anything because they're afraid they'll get so-called canceled. Uh, they're afraid they'll get insulted if they say the wrong thing. Um, Let's bracket, let's put that aside for a second and just remind any man who's listening, any woman who's listening, who, who thinks that is, 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 a, is a fear that women have been afraid, especially in the workplace, that if they said the wrong thing, they'd get fired, right? If they, it, right, that if they didn't sleep with their boss, they'd get fired, i.e. canceled, right? Um, the, African-Americans have been afraid for years that if they made too much eye contact with their white boss, that they would be fired, that they would be canceled, right? Right. We're suddenly at this moment where white men are feeling what everyone else has been feeling, which is I have to stop and think about what I'm going to say, because if I anger the people around me, they will ruin my life, right? Everybody what a responsibility. else. <laughs> they, right. Everybody else has been going through that forever. Right. Um, so, so that's that, that, you know, just because you, the white men are suddenly feeling that doesn't mean that it's a, it's, it's, it's a terrible extreme thing. Now, mm -hmm. I also want to acknowledge that they are feeling that. And so that was part of why I wrote father figure to go, yes, you are scared. You're scared because yes, you are participating in things that are wrong. Yes, you are unconsciously uh, um, creating behaviors that are wrong. And what really scares you is that you don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. What really scares you is that you're unaware. What really scares you is that you don't have the tools, right? Because we haven't provided men with the tools to, to, to really do the self-interrogation that's necessary for them to change it. We've done a lot of going, of calling out bad things. We've done a lot of criticizing bad things. We've, which was all really important work for the, for the, for the first, you know, 200 years of, of feminism, right. To, to go bad, 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 misogyny, 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 you know, and I said, well, now we have to give the men the tools to go, oh, right. I have been a misogynist in some places and I need to, and I need to acknowledge it, take responsibility for it, accept culpability for it and change my behaviors and my thought patterns. Yeah. And, right? and you, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's, it's, so you use this term before the, um, uh, the habits of mind and yeah. it, you know, it makes me think of any, literally anything else we do in our life, right? We learn how to drive, we exercise, we uh, learn on the job training. All of these things are training us in things that we either did a different way that we have to unwind or things that we're learning new. And mindsets and mind frames are, are the same exact thing. It's the same. It's just what we're talking about with the muscle using, you know, doing yeah. the jumbles in the morning. Like you have to keep working at retraining those assumptions, those things that you've, you've known to be true your whole life. Yeah. For that, that term habits of mind, I have to give credit for where I, I mean, I don't think, I, I don't know that they came up with it, but, but, but where I, when I started using it, I was doing, when I was working in education as a consultant, I was working with air university, which is where, where the air force does most of its officer training. And I was helping them create a, uh, a curriculum for critical thinking at the time. And they kept using the term habits of mind, right? They were very mm. interested in how do we create air minded individuals, right? How do we get them to, how do we get them to think think the way that the air force thinks about, uh, about things. How do we make them into, into, into airmen? And I just love the term habits of mind because I, I thought, you know, there's so many parts of our life where we are learning the habits of mind, right? Every time you get a new job, you have to learn the habits of mind of that organization, right? Every time you move into a group of friends, you have to learn the habits of mind of that group of friends, right? Like mm -hmm. what are the, what are the everyday rituals? What are the everyday performative things you do to, 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 to let them, to let everyone know that you're one of them, that you're part of the group, right? Right. That's not just, I mean, that is conformity, but that not in the, I'm not saying we hide ourselves. You can do that in a very authentic way. We have to conform and we have to practice and we have to perform and we have to sort of put on um, affectations and personas and costumes in any group. Um, and, and the challenge in life, I think, is to do that in a way that is authentic and not bullshit. Right. Right. Uh, right. You don't it's want like, to act like, like someone survival. you're not. <laughs> right. right. But you still have to fit in. Right. 
right? right. Like, like if you think about this in terms of sports, right? Like you got to wear the uniform, you might hate it, but you still have to wear it. So you try to wear it in a way that feels like you're still yourself while wearing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to do that in any group. Um, and, and so to me, the, the point was, mm. we all do wear a lot of, co- or at least dads wear a lot of costumes to fit into the image of fatherhood that we see in the movies, that we see in sitcoms, that we see on, you know, in Target, as we see like the pictures of like families running to go play ball on a vacation, right? Right. When we look at a billboard, right? They're all yeah. over the place, these images of what it means to be a good dad. And we're acting like a good dad. So what would it mean if we were to act like a feminist dad instead of act like the patriarchal dad that's been that's been the model for not that long. I mean, it's not nearly as long as we've been told, right? We've been, we've been told that that exists since the beginning of time. The truth is even the that's only existed since the beginning of the industrial era. Can we talk about that? Because I, I there's so much to what you said that I want to dig into, but that piece that you just said, just reminded me of something that I read a million years ago and I don't have the brain capacity to remember things the way that you do. And we can talk about that over ribs someday. Um, but I, (laughs) I feel like I read something which was a study on this, that fathers were actually very much involved, uh, and very much whatever you want to call it, co-parents, primary parents, whatever, until this, new era where it was like off you go to work and then she takes care of everything at home um is that something you uncovered in in any of your do you do you know yeah, more yeah. about that than i do i i know a lot about that um not not only do i write a lot about it in father figure but i'm i'm, I'm doing an a, event with the the woman w- whose book you probably read which is stephanie Kuntz. it's a book called the way we never were um no. and it's all uh, and it's all about how our image of the ideal family never really existed, right? So, but it's always been this this uh, this aspirational um, image. Um, and, and one of the things that 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 Stephanie Kuntz talks about, um, and and of course I cover this in detail in Father Figure, it is I haven't got ha- my hard copy yet. When I get the hard <laughs> copy, I'm, I I told you I can't read digital. It's so bad. Sorry, go ahead. But but it's go what what's what. what what happened was, I mean, the first thing is, right, we're all given this story that like, since the beginning of time, women have been in the kitchen and men have been going off to work. Well, Mm -hmm. let me start with what's wrong with that. One, we didn't have kitchens for most of human history. Okay. (laughs) We had a fire pit in the middle of a hut for most of human history. Okay. There was no separate rooms. We just all slept right near the fire pit. Okay. And that happened until, until around probably the 17th century when, when, when people actually start, when more than royalty and aristocracy starts to be able to build real homes. Right. Um, and not just, and not just have straw huts. Right. Um, um, the second thing we should know is the idea of going to work does not exist until I, I write about this in, in The New Childhood, my previous book. Even the word work as a place is like a 20th century idea, right? It's definitely a verb before that, but as a noun, a place you go, 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't, nobody went to work. You right. worked the fields in your backyard. Right. And guess what? You were so poor and food was so scarce that you that everyone worked. Even mm-hmm. the toddlers worked. Right. That's why you <laughs> Certain, had so many of them. There was no there was no world in which you were like, wife, why don't you just sit in the kitchen and make us bread while we all go till the field? No, wife, while pregnant with a baby strapped to her back, was tilling the field and even and, if you and were... children used to be producers not <laughs> fucking leeches <laughs> yeah um and even if you were you know one of the fortunate people who got to live in a in in you know like a, a medieval city uh um, that was very very rich you still probably your business let's say it was a butcher shop for example or or uh, now that's probably let's change it to uh, a blacksmith, right? You have lived upstairs and you came downstairs mm-hmm. to do your black and the whole family did it together. There mm-hmm. was this whole idea of commuting, this whole idea of going, uh, uh, of some people going off to work doesn't happen until we have factories and office buildings and all the things that came with the industrial era. So what 
needs to happen to make sense of that because that's a huge change if you imagine like a hundred but i don't know how many how long have humans been around three hundred thousand years right you imagine like i've been around three hundred thousand years <laughs> if you imagine hundreds of thousands of years of living with a family that's all working together eating together mm -hmm. sleeping together and then suddenly we've changed the world to some people have to go off to work and some people have to stay home uh you got to make some sense of that that's a huge right. transition so the way they made sense of it was to to genderize it right to say to say men go off to work why did they say men go off to work not just because men were you know nobody at that time thought men were more capable of working uh it it, it was just that they they were dividing things that way and so the, the the factory the office building this became a very high stakes sort of like angry it's just business uh, mm -hmm. uh place so they started to build these narratives of men are more aggressive men can be more rational men don't get their emotions caught up in things no they just, no they never. just put cogs into things right so and then they said is that when, in order to make that made sense you couldn't get rid of all compassion so they said no women take care of compassion and that happens at home the home mm -hmm. is a nurturing compassionate nest it's not a place of work it's not it's not a, it's just a place of leisure and comfort uh, and so that's how that gender dichotomy happens in 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 the in the middle uh, in the in in the middle of the industrial era which not only changes how we think about work and home but also we start to believe these things are innately true about men and women right, right? so suddenly we're like women are more nurturing that's not true there's no science that backs up women are more nurturing there are some women who are more nurturing there are also some men who are more nurturing it has nothing to do with your genitals yeah a hundred percent agree underscore first of all i want i have to read that book i think that's such a fascinating uh kind of progression to talk about right now because we've actually dismantled this whole notion of commuting for those who are not really you know the the first responders or frontline workers throughout this pandemic globally right so like we've actually had i think one of the most seismic societal shifts in in how we operate from a professional and and you know contributing to to the economy perspective because of this pandemic and i think the worst thing we could do now is rebuild it exactly as it was because it obviously wasn't working it obviously was exclusionary um and and i think it's really interesting to tie those gender norms to the evolution of going to work and commuting to work since that's been the piece that we've pulled back on for for a lot of the workforce over this past year yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I also think, you know, it was already before the pandemic starting to 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 be dismantled in a way. Um, um, you know, in the in my book, The New Childhood, I, I talked about how so many parents fear of screen time, I think is because um, the, the internet takes the kids into a world that is not that comfortable picket fence nest. And we're so confused about wait, how can you be sitting on my sofa and also on a porn site i'm very confused right right this did not make sense in that split between between you know dangerous work and and safe home um and and so that's i think that's at the core of our fear so much of, you know because it's never made sense to me how scared how scared we all are of of our kids having screen time while we're all on screens all day right like well i'm not afraid of me having it just my kids well partially the the work that i do uh so i started my career uh reviewing and approving ads at google 17 years ago and uh that was a window into the internet that uh, has never <laughs> left my soul. Um, so it's like, the more, you know, the more you wish you didn't know. And then you see these little, you know, innocent minds just going God knows where, while you're drinking wine on the couch, uh, yeah. for example, um, <laughs> for example, <laughs> hypothetically speaking, to say, um, uh, cause you wouldn't drink wine on the couch no. because if you spilled it, it would stain. Yeah. Well, that's why I have a dark couch. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I also want to talk about, I, I think something I read in, in, uh, your work is kind of what happened when you first released your, your first book about screen time and the review that you received. And it was very gut wrenching to, to read that, to be honest. Um, and I would love if you would share 
So did you, you just read my account of it. You didn't read the review, did you? I didn't. I did. <laughs> <If you> think... <laughs> yeah, you I'm, be... I'm still in my bathrobe. What do you, I have no time. No, just kidding. no, I, no I... I mean, it's funny because you'd be even more gut wrenched if you read the actual review. I mean, uh, it was a review in the wall street journal. And on the one hand, it was super exciting. It was my first uh, mainstream book and they gave me this, you know, I think it was the, the, whatever the, I forget which section it was, but it was a full color picture of the cover giant and i opened the wall street journal i was like oh wow this is awesome and then i started to read it and the i think the first line was like when jordan shapiro and his wife separated his kids were four and six years old and i'm like wait why is why are you leading with that and then the whole review was this idea that like painted this picture that i was a over permissive divorced dad who was trying to argue that with my ex-wife that it was okay for my kids to play video games and that she should stop complaining which is not what the book's about mm -hmm. my ex-wife and i have a unbelievably friendly co-parenting relationship we we get along great we i think we both have exactly the same parenting values we almost never argue about about anything when it comes to parenting i mean we are exes so we do argue about some lots of things but not the parenting stuff yeah. um um and uh, it but but it was this sort of like you can't be divorced and also be a good dad. That was the one implication. And then I just found more of that as I was working on it is that you actually can't be a dad and good at, at good at parenting the way we mm -hmm. think of our, of our, uh, of it in our culture, right? Um, you can be a doctor. You're allowed to be an expert. You're allowed to be Dr. Spock or Dr. Sears and be, I don't talk, you know, I, I'm, I have boundaries between me and my actual kids. And I don't tell you about my kid. You know, we can have, we can, you're allowed to be the expert man, but you can't be good there is no there is no model of dad who's also a good parent right mm -hmm. there's dad who is good dad there's dad who's great at playing with the kids whose kids love him who does some good things but this idea of of making the right developmental choices so much of our culture imagines that that dads can't do that and with my first book i found a lot of that um yeah. Um, I mean, certainly, lot, I, I'm not trying. A lot of people took the book very seriously. Most of the reviews were phenomenal. Um, um, you know, I have I, I'm I'm pretty esteemed. I have a lot of uh, uh, in in circles of child development and 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 all of that. I just started to notice this again. These subtle, inadvertent things that re that reinforce that idea, and that's what made me want to write Father Figure. Was I said it's time for us. To, because if you take that and you go, meanwhile, we have what you were just talking about in the pandemic, this care crisis where men aren't even helping. They think they're helping, right? They think they're helping with the kids, but we don't even have an image. Men don't have an image to live into of what it means to be the parent because right. what it means to be a dad is you play ball on the lawn, you bond with them, you take them to a ball game, you, uh, you know, you, you, you shoot the shit out in the yard, maybe you teach them how to do the lawn mowing, right? But, but there's not there, there's no image of dad as nurturing, caretaking, organizing logistics. Yep. Uh, there's plenty of men who do that. Right. right. There's there, but but there's no image in the media. There's no there's no there's no um, popular sense of celebration of 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 men who put the development and the logistics of their children's lives first. Right. And right. so what happens is men just don't know how to do it. How could you know how to do it if you don't if there's no image of it? Right. Um. Well, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about with the the wall of male presidents. Right. It's like when, you know, the whole concept of if you can see it, you can be it. And now obviously somebody's going to be the first in all of these arenas. But there, there's it's not only that it's not being modeled more broadly, but it's being belittled. Like yeah. constantly this notion well, of like, oh, you're a complete fuck up. Thank God mom's home to take <laughs> care of this. Like the children were almost dead. Uh, my my husband and I have a term for this. We call it momsplaining where, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's less now that the kids are older and probably less now that we're either more desensitized to it or we're so vocal about our, our roles. But, you know, this point where everything he did it was like if he did something right he was fucking walking on water right like i cannot believe the diaper stayed on um and if he did something wrong it was like well of course you poor thing let me come in and help you where 
<laughs> I mean, I would get unwanted advice all the time too, but for him, it was like fire hose, particularly when the kids were little. Um, and it just was, it's so deeply hurtful and so, uh, uh, prevalent i think particularly for fathers right like oh you're yeah, really and... you're really good with the kids <laughs> <laughs> oh you so two things one one I, I think there's a really a great subtle example that occurred to me i was watching on cnn the amy comey barrett confirmation hearing mm. for the supreme court and i heard the person on cnn go well she's really going to be the first Supreme Court justice who had small children while she was on the bench. And I thought, wait a second, John Roberts had small children, but that doesn't count, right? It doesn't count that John Roberts, because he wasn't parenting, obviously, while he was on the bench, and she must be parenting while she's on the bench. How about right? when they asked during her confirmation hearing, who does the laundry in her house? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't like, see that. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me right now? Really? Sorry. <laughs> um, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And then, and then on, on the other side of it, I, I I'll just tell you a, a, a quick story because you, you talked about your, your mom's planning example is that when we were doing the, um, all, all the prep for father's figure for father figure, all the producing, and we had to come up with a cover and I had actually suggested this cover, but when it came back, I, I, I nixed it immediately. And what it was, was there was a picture of like a dad holding his kid's hand and he had like a cape on, like he was some kind of comic book superhero. And I had suggested to the artist, like, let's see, let's see what that looks like. As soon as it came back, I said, wait a second we can't put that on the cover dad's not a superhero for doing the bare minimum of not being a misogynist asshole there's nothing super about that right right like we don't we don't need a round of applause that he can like do like you're saying the bare minimum to not take be a the kid to a playground or right? the bare like, minimum oh, you to, can... right as a caregiver as a person who is responsible for little humans like it's not yeah. Oh, it is. It's I, I think those things are so um, but you also can't underestimate the role that I think media plays in this, because, you know, I always think about this within our home. We we obviously don't subscribe to to gender norms or assumptions given our roles, but also like there's things that I just love to do. And I, my listeners are probably sick of hearing this from me, but I love laundry. I did probably two and a half loads before we got on this call this morning. That's really weird. It is so weird. I, when yeah. I retire, I'm going to retire. I'm going to start a wash and fold. Um, there is something <laughs> so mindless and so gratifying about it that I am obsessed. Um, I mean, I enjoy folding laundry while watching TV. I find <laughs> there's just something really soothing. And then I know I did something right. Like I know that I got something done. That's really helpful. Um, but there's aside from that one, like subscribed activity, there's no other like gender normative things playing out in my household. Like I, you know, I'm much more likely to power wash while my husband's like making eggplant meatballs. And I love that my son and daughter are seeing that, but as soon as they leave our house or as soon as they are turning on their iPad or whatever, like they're seeing a totally different message uh, from media at large. And I feel like that's where we need the type of work that you're doing to like scale this out more. It just needs to be more vocal. There needs to be more space. And you're right with your book. There's just not a lot of this stuff. There's not a lot of parenting books geared towards dads, right? There's a yeah. lot of like moms reading the book and then telling their partners about it, um, which goes over super well, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's not a lot out there for for dads on this journey so i think what you're doing is really meaningful and really important and really relatable and approachable well thanks and th there was there's a there's a, a pretty famous study i don't remember how long ago it was done but what they found was that that men are more likely to listen to other men talk about gender inequality than they are women, right? Mm -hmm. The assumption is that they perceive that the other men have nothing to gain in the conversation, right? They have no ulterior motive. And when I read that study, I thought, okay, great. I'm going to write it then. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's terrible, right? Men should listen to women talk about it also. <laughs> but, that's but, misogyny at play, but also. <laughs> but, but also, if that's the, the, the fact of, of, of things, I thought, okay, let's, um, like, you know, I want to, I want to 
present feminism to other men in a way that is not judgmental, mm -hmm. in a way that's not saying, hey, you're a supervillain, in a way that's not saying to, to, to men, you know, you're so terrible, you've created a horrible world, you, you, you know, in a way that is saying, hey, I get you. I know the struggle of trying to figure out how to fit into a world where gender is being renegotiated. I, I get the struggle of what it means to try to be a dad in a world where there is actually where, where actually most people are saying, don't be a good dad. Right. Mm -hmm. Or saying, go to go to work. Right? right. I know. I know all those things. And I want to help dads navigate that. Right. This is not a book to say, hey, dads are bad. Be more feminist. This is a book to say how how can I help you navigate a, 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 you know, we're on a trajectory towards a post-patriarchal world. I hope we arrive there. Not sure if we will, you know, it depends on the day, whether I'm cynical or optimistic, but we're definitely on a trajectory toward a post-patriarchal world. And I, and, and, and I just wanted to help dads think about how they fit into it. And that's, that's why I wrote father figure. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I think it makes sense. I was joking earlier about men will mostly listen to other men, but the truth is it's a shared experience and that's a human nature attraction is when you feel like if I had men talking to me about their role as breadwinner, I can certainly associate with, with the stresses or the uh, fulfillment that comes with that role. But when I talk to a woman about being a breadwinner, it's a much different conversation, right? Like it just is, it, it speaks more to me. And so that's why I think um, it's so important that, that you're out there and being vocal about this. Many of our listeners have asked when my husband is going to come on the show. And <laughs> it's like, I am the Stedman to your Oprah. I am not doing anything. <laughs> of it. Um, but it's, I think it's really important. It's really meaningful. And I will say to our listeners who are not yet fathers, what a gift to be able to read a book like this before you embark on that journey. You know, I think that's what I really aim to do is also look at like the people who are 10 to 15 years behind us and how do we get them here faster? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and of course, you know, all the data shows us that the, 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 the generation, the next, the next generation is already so much, so much more attuned to core social justice issues. It's actually really inspiring when you look at, at some of the studies they do. And I can tell you firsthand uh, as a college professor, inter I don't mean that gives me expertise. The, I, I mean, as a college professor who interacts with 18 year olds all the time, um, they are a inspired, you know, this next generation don't believe the stuff in the media that tells you they're coddled and entitled. They are standing up for themselves and they are standing up for their peers and they are standing up to stop injustice and they are brave and they are not afraid of conflict and they will and they will call out injustice when they see it and that's awesome because when i was a kid i mean uh, the one i was afraid to do is certainly the the lgbtq kids in in school were were terrified to sell, stand up to their teachers and go how dare you say that and they are not scared anymore so don't yeah. buy into any of this coddled kids nonsense they, this generation you know to me that's not coddled yeah <laughs> there, I, there's nothing coddled about being willing to raise your voice. <laughs> I have so many uh, friends who are in the education system at all different ages and levels, and they all share the same exact sentiment that like, these kids are awesome. And they yeah. are so ready to take on and dismantle these assumptions and these ideals and support one another and use their voice and, you know, just not take their privilege for granted. And I just think that gives me so much hope and so much inspiration. Even the way my own kids, uh, you know, talk and, and go through things. It's not, they really think about the words that they use and they really think about the words that their peers use and they get into it. Even in third grade, my girl will get into it. Um, yeah. And I love that. I love that notion of just knowing their voice and I it gives me a lot of hope. It's 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 really it's really inspiring. Just the other day at the dinner table, I was making a, I made a like uh, uh, offhand comment about how my middle aged belly, right? That I felt fat or something. I'm like, I'm getting old and fat, and and my my stepdaughter was just like, "What's wrong with being fat?" Mm. And I, I was like, I was like, "Oh, you're right." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like these things that you just say that you're like, "Oh God, okay, yeah." <laughs> That's so awesome. 
I love it. Listen, I love this conversation. I, I know you're on this awesome like virtual book tour, uh, which I looked, you're speaking to a lot of our previous guests and friends of mine. And I just think it's such an amazing uh, effort that you're doing. I'm, I'm glad you're able to do a virtual book tour, you know, even though we all look forward to traveling. Sometimes I'm sure those can be exhausting. <laughs> It certainly means you can do a lot more, um, and that's exciting. I yeah. get to talk to a lot of people and a lot of my friends who are who are who are who are just brilliant authors who I've never been able to get to do these things with me before. Who are now uh, who are now able to uh, to do it because it's really easy for us to find an hour when we can both sit in front of a webcam. And <laughs> and before it was like, can you come to Chicago and do a bookstore event? And they're like, mm, no. Right. But so, so it's kind of awesome in that way. And and you know, I I have, I have a whole tour full of conversations, mostly with mostly. I mean, there's a there's a there's a few men, but mostly it's all the brilliant feminist thinkers that that I read while while thinking uh, about this book, and 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 I get to talk to them about their ideas, and I get to 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 lift their ideas to my audience. Not that they needed me to lift their ideas, but but to to my particular audience, um, and to acknowledge that that. Father Figure is not a book about Jordan Shapiro being a brilliant thinker who came up with some original new idea. It's simply a book where Jordan Shapiro is packaging the ideas from all the brilliant people before him um, so that they're more accessible to to fathers. <laughs> well, that that's how movements work, right? They, they all start driving toward the same thing. And I'm certain there is a lot of Jordan Shapiro uh IP in there. So, um, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Uh, so the book comes out, you can pre-order now, correct? I'm sorry. You froze for a second. Oh, so I didn't even hear what you said. Uh, I said the book comes out, what's the pub date and you can pre-order the now, book comes right? out on well, May 11th. So it's probably already out by the time people are listening to this would yep. be my guess. Yeah. So, so it's May, it, 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 the book came, we should do it this way. The book came out May 11th, Edit. but <laughs> <laughs> the book came out May 11th and it is, I, again, I'll say it's a great gift for father's day. Um, in fact, if you go on my website, feministdadbook.com, feministdadbook.com, you got to say it three times for people to remember it. Feministdadbook.com. <laughs> Um, if you go on there, you can, you, we, not only can you order the book signed, signed copies, but we have lots of cool Father's Day uh, gifts and bundles. My favorite, can I tell you about my, my favorite yeah. one? It might be my favorite one too. So, so if you're worried that like giving your, your, your partner a book that has the word feminist, the F word, if it has the word <laughs> feminist on the, on, on, on the cover, what, what we did was we, we, we partnered with this amazing company in Los Angeles that makes aprons from recycled beer cloth. So we we call it the hot meat barbecue apron and it says feminist dad across the front and it is made when I say recycled beer cloth so they filter the hops and barley through this this special cloth and it comes from a major brewery that I'm not allowed to say the name, um, but one of the fam big famous ones that has commercials on during the Super Bowl. Um, and they go through like 100,000 tons of this fabric a year because it, it stops working after a while. And so what we do is we, we, we they're, they're upcycled to be beer cloth barbecue apron. So you got beer, you got barbecue, you got sustainability, and you got feminism. Can't get more manly than that, right? That's um. awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, listen, I love that you shared all the ways to engage. Um, I will take you up on that invite for ribs anytime. Uh, tis the season. And uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the time and the work that you're doing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was great. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm.